Welcome to Real Talk. I am Tina. And I am Anne. Oh my goodness, Tina. We had the best holiday weekend. We put up our new pool and it's actually pretty big. And we just had cookouts, did dogs over the fire, just sat around the pool. I mean, we just played outside all day for three straight days and the weather was amazing. We just have no complaints. You were camping, right? Yes, we did go camping, but first, how fun, a pool. Oh my goodness, it sounds like you had such a great weekend, and I'm so glad. Um, yes. We did go camping, and it was fun, and the truth is, it was also exhausting, and it was very cold at night, was not prepared for 45-degree weather, so um, yeah, it's a little chilly. We learned that raccoons like Cheetos our minivan is actually an excellent camper and we had to turn it on in the middle of the night. My two of my kids, my littlest and my oldest and I slept in there. Uh, We had to turn it on in the middle of the night for heat, very little sleep, but my husband was amazing with all the kids as he always is playing with them. And it's always an adventure. Yeah. You guys did so much. You, um, what is that? Kayaking or canoeing or anything? Yeah, we did rafting down the river and a high ropes course, which was like a complete forearm burner. Oh my goodness. It was so much more difficult than I thought, but it felt really good to complete it. That's amazing. See, that's the kind of memories that you like to make with your family. So I know that, you know, and you'll, you'll love the memories of the cold weather as well. (laughs) Yes, I learned so much about the van and how to make it all work and that you can use the heat for hours at a time in the middle of the night with the lights off. And oh, it was so good. (laughs) Well, you know, my idea of camping is a five star hotel. So (laughs) I mean, not really a five star, but you know, one with uh, that I'm inside with indoor toilets. So right. I have not slept in a tent since I was never a year old. And uh, <laughs> I slept in a cabin as a Girl Scout, but that was the last time. So, well, obviously, I didn't use the tent, I used the van, but that was because last year our right. little guy just all the sound was too much for him and he couldn't sleep. And he finally passed out in the van, and it was much better in the van for me too. But my favorite part was waking up Monday morning from the van. I walked over to the tent where my husband and middle son were sleeping. And I saw this giant woolly bear next to my husband. And so I woke up and he was like, Oh, that's what was crawling on my face in the middle of the night that I swatted off. I was like, Oh my gosh, the biggest woolly bear you've ever seen. Seriously. If that was me, everyone would have been awakened in the middle of the night. We would have had to leave because it's pitch black. Like, I don't know what that is, but no thanks. I was like, and then you flicked it off and you left it between you and our son. You didn't even make sure like it was gone. What if it would have crawled on him? It and was, maybe it did. <laughs> I know. You just don't Oh, know. my gosh. But they, I would be screaming my head off. Too. And I'm telling you, it was the thickness of my thumb. And about the length of maybe my longest finger. See, no, no, no. I know. I, I want That's what I'm talking about. No, I couldn't have done it. Couldn't have done it. And then he felt bad that he swatted it off. But just so you know, it lived. And then my little guy was playing with it. And then it was playing dead. You know, all the fun things. But anyway, good times, good memories. And I know we need to jump into this week's episode. Yes, We started our series of PTSD symptoms, and we are on our third 
part. We have already covered flashbacks, nightmares, sleep disturbance, hypervigilance, getting startled easily, depression, which shame, guilt, hopelessness, anger can lead to depression. We, we talked about that. We talked about anger and avoiding people, places, and things in our last episode. And we stopped while discussing three types of memory loss related to trauma. The first one was localized amnesia, which is when you can't remember an event or period of time. Tina shared how trauma has deeply affected her mom's memory. And what exactly is her diagnosis again, Tina? So my mom, when she was 59, so this is three years ago, was diagnosed with early onset dementia and also Parkinson's disease. And based on her total evaluation, they believe that hers was at least in part, in large part, caused by lifelong trauma. You know, I'm so sorry this has affected your family, Tina. And trauma just goes so deep and it affects every area of people's lives for years to come, even up to their entire life after the trauma has happened. So, I mean, it is just, it is really just an awful thing. And that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast and one of the reasons why we are covering things like PTSD, because it's just so important The last two types of the amnesia with trauma is selective amnesia is when you can't remember a specific aspect of an event. And generalized amnesia is when you can't remember your identity or history. Now, I can absolutely relate to selective amnesia. I have had times in my life where it was just too hard for my mind to absorb what happened. That is what you know, your mind is just so kind when it does things like that to your memory. I see it as a gift and that it allows me to remember things like that when I'm ready. You are so right. I can relate to this as well. Our bodies and brains are pretty amazing. And when I was in my mid twenties, I was going through the Citizens Police Academy where I live and apparently I was ready to deal with a specific trauma that I didn't know the full story too. So after that, I ended up getting counseling for what I learned happened to me as a young girl. And that has, uh, that was all spawned by going through one of the particular classes in that Citizens Police Academy course. And all I can say is I would describe it as this absolute overwhelming feeling of like fear, dread, hyper-focused on what the person was saying and the perpetrator came to my mind and I couldn't breathe. I actually had to get up, walk out of the room. And I went and called my mom and said, did such and such happen to me when I was a little girl? And she said, yes, you said that it did. And I took you to a doctor to be checked. And there was nothing definitive that they were able to tell me. That is amazing. I mean, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but isn't that amazing how your brain can just lock something up like that and then just out of nowhere it is just revealed that's what my counselor said she said you must have been ready to handle it and deal with it yeah yeah that's you know I've had similar situations like that happen to me and and I know some people have gone to counseling and that's happened and they've kind of tried to play it off. And maybe in some circumstances, counselors do try to plant a memory, 
but I know then most of the time it really is a legit memory that has just been released in, in your brain and yourself is, is just ready to handle it. And I just can't believe how intricate our brains are that something like that can happen. I know. It's, it's a beautiful thing really. And I really do look at it as a gift. Yeah. At the time I didn't, I was very confused, but now as I'm older, I'm able to see it that way. And it's, I'm in awe over it truthfully. Yeah. You're able to remember those things and process those things in a way that you're uh, older and wiser and able to handle it. So, but we're going to move on to the ninth symptom of PTSD and that's feeling reckless and self-destructive. A May 2017 study that was published in the Journal of Traumatic Stress found that reckless or self-destructive behavior in this case exhibited by veterans included substance misuse, self-harm, excessive gambling, aggression, and could also include suicide. With suicide being such a sensitive topic, we're going to get back to it with helps and phone numbers, but right now we're just going to touch on the recklessness of our lives and some really bad decisions that we have made. This was me in my 20s. I seriously am grateful that I lived through them. I put myself in some of the worst situations. I just didn't care. I mean, I met strangers in a bar and went into their car just because they asked me if I wanted to get high. And I met this guy, this drug dealer who I knew at the, uh, in not a really great place. And, you know, he laced it, it was laced with something. And uh, I used to, you know, sadly make out with every Tom, Dick or Harry that I would meet while I was out dancing three days a week in the clubs. I would just drink and drink and drink and just do stupid stuff. I drove recklessly down a road. I mean, I would not do any of these things. I mean, if I looked at my, if I wish I could look at myself in my 20s and just yell at myself and say, what are you doing? You know, I get it. I've done so many of those very same things. And truthfully, I think who. I used to be is so far in a good way from who I am now that that's why I don't go to any of my high school reunions. I don't want to be reminded of all this. You know, that's really interesting because the worst time of my, one of the worst times was high school and college. And I really don't like going back. I I still have a couple of those friends today and they know that I'm different, but when you go through treatment, which I did, which again, I am going to say, you know, I just think that I was trying to numb. I don't think that I had the, as much of an addiction as people thought at that time, but they tell you to change people, places, and things. And so it is hard to go back to the same situations where you didn't act your best. So, you know, don't want to go back and remember what you did, but it's also kind of good in one respect because you can let people know, hey, you know, I'm not that person anymore. I've changed. I've grown up. I'm actually raising kids and being responsible. How about that? (laughs) I know. I know. But I think I'm embarrassed of my past and I need to move forward from that. You know, I do understand that. Now, one thing 
that the article just stated was it, it talked about suicide. And I do know that someone has, I do know personally someone that has taken their own life. You know, I've watched shows like 13 Reasons Why on Netflix about a young girl who took her life. And it's actually very eye-opening. And they're trying to trace back what happened. And if someone could have helped that person along the way before they actually ended up taking their life. So I want to get, I just can't. Oh, I know. I, I want to get back to it. But if you are thinking about taking your life, please contact someone. Please talk with someone, anyone. You have no idea how deeply you are loved and needed in this world and how much you will be missed. Even what might seem like the worst situation, please know that everything, no matter how bad, is temporary and do anything but take your own life. Do anything but that and contact someone immediately. Suicide hotline is 988 and it's just that easy. Just dial 988 and find a way to take one more breath. And that was so beautiful. I'm a little teared up over what you just said. You're absolutely right. Every life is so precious and needed. Please get help if you feel this way. You know, I've had people close to me that self-harm and cutting is a very scary thing. There is a book called Scars and it shares a deep need to hurt self to take away pain that they are going through. So, I mean, I have had a hard time understanding why people cut, but I've heard that they actually do do it to take away the internal pain that they are suffering. Well, I can attest to that. Um, we let's go on to what healthline.com says in there and I'll share my personal story. So some of the reasons that healthline lists of why someone might cut themselves include having difficulty understanding or expressing their emotions, not knowing how to cope with trauma, pressure or psychological pain in a healthy way, having unresolved feelings of rejection, loneliness, self-hatred, anger, confusion, or some people choose to do it to quote feel alive, which I would say is like the equivalent to getting high, doing drugs. You know what I mean? Now, it, it talked about people who self-injure. They might be desperate to break the tension or rid themselves of negative feelings, or it could be an attempt to feel in control or to distract from something unpleasant. It could even be a means of self-punishment for perceived shortcomings. And though it's not always the case, self-injuring behavior can be associated with things like bipolar disorder, depression, drug or alcohol misuse, certain personality disorders, and obsessive compulsive disorders like OCD. Now, I used to self-harm. I would cut myself in middle school, and I'm not proud of it. But for me, the physical pain was easier to deal with than the mental anguish I was going through and the bullying that I experienced, particularly in seventh grade. Just one example was I wanted to participate in track And I did, but girls didn't want me on the team. And so they would trip me and purposely hurt me. And I would go home and cut myself to get rid of the pain. And one day my mom found me in my room cutting my wrists. Now I never did it to be suicidal. I did it to take away the pain that I felt mentally. 
because I could handle the physical pain, but I wanted to numb the mental pain that I felt. And so my mom found me cutting my wrists. She intervened so quickly and I did get psychiatric help and I was put on medicine. I was depressed. I felt rejected and lonely and it only went up from there. And that's, I mean that in a good way. All of those things helped me. Can I ask a question? I'm curious if you saw or heard about cutting before you did it or I didn't. Did you just start doing it without even any knowledge of other people doing that? No, I didn't know anybody else who did. And in fact, people at school found out that I did that because I had also at one point become obsessed with a particular boy in my class who rejected me. And so I remember one time on the bus, like carving his name with um, a paper or a safety pin in my ankle. And, you know, people saw me and then, you know, oh, she, she's cutting herself. Like who does that? I didn't know anybody else who did. I just knew that for me, it took away the mental pain. And that's why I did it was because the physical pain I could deal with the mental pain I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am related to somebody fairly close to me who has, you know, she spent quite a bit of time cutting herself And we went to counseling and we really tried to help and figure out why she was cutting. So, you know, Tina and I are not experts. So please, if you are cutting or doing anything to harm yourself, please talk to someone. If the only thing you can say is help, just say it and then go from there. One step at a time and one breath at a time. The person I know who wrote the book on self-harming, that I spoke of earlier, she was abused as a child in a cult and she came out of it writing and expressing the pain. I love that she chose to write because she has many books and writing is such an amazing outlet for pain. I just heard a singing artist state that their best work is when they are in pain emotionally and writing songs are their way to heal. I have a book called The Sinful Woman, and that has some of my story in it. I write and I do photography and I just do so many different things. I've chosen different outlets now, different ways, a healthier way to have that release. I have turned to restorative yoga, trauma counselor, spiritual counselor, exercise, and sometimes I write about it. I should do more writing. Even my current therapist says so, but Finding the time and trying to break through my stubbornness is the challenge there for me with the writing. You know, I encourage everyone to find a different form of release. If you are turning it negatively inward toward yourself and hurting yourself, whether it be by drinking or addiction, any type of addiction or gambling, wanting to take your own life or any type of self-harm, just please reach out to somebody. Uh, Tina, do you have a quote this week? I do. I thought this was so perfect. It's an Ernest Hemingway quote, and it is, we are all broken. That's how the light gets in. That's just so beautiful because we really are. I mean, especially in these day and age, this day and age, I honestly, there is nobody that I can see 
that is not going through something, through a lot of pain. And it's trying to figure out the most positive, best ways for ourselves to grow in a healthy way and for us not to implode. So, you know, we are all broken is just an absolutely true statement. And that is how the light gets out. And we can just figure out really positive, beautiful ways to have that release And sometimes like we're doing on this podcast, you know, we are broken. Tina and I are broken. And that light is coming through the podcast to you through those broken areas in our life. And we're hoping that it's touching you. Absolutely. And my interpretation, too, of this quote is to help us feel more connected and not alone, knowing we're all broken. So there's not this perfect person out there who hasn't experienced anything I just feel like that might bring a little more connectedness. Well, thanks for joining us this week with Real Talk with Tina and Ann. Take care of yourself. Reach out to somebody if you need help. And we'll see you next week.